Amen. So again, welcome, and as we do that, as we gather our offerings and our tithes, um, you know, it's, uh, it's been a great study, I think, so far, going through the Gospel of Mark, and it's the shortest of the Gospels, but it's also the fastest moving. I like to kind of bring us up to speed each week where we are, and uh, just as a, a reminder, but... You know, Mark is, uh, we're already starting the seventh chapter of Mark today, so if you're going to follow along in your Bibles, it's Mark chapter 7, but we are just looking simply at the way of Jesus in our study in the Gospel of Mark, because Mark is using that word immediately a lot, and he's just trying to get to his point, getting to that last week of Jesus' life. But the way of Jesus is really all about discipleship. Jesus came. And he brought the, uh, the message of repentance. And when he, uh, when he left, and we'll see that, of course, as we move through the gospel, and he left uh, the disciples with the Holy Spirit and the believers, he gave them a commission. We call it the Great Commission. He said, go forth, right, and make disciples of all the nations. So we are to be disciples. So we believe in the Lord Jesus for salvation, and then... We have to make that choice. Do we want to be followers? And we want to be disciples learning and growing and serving in Him. And so that's what Mark is doing. Mark is simply outlining for us what does it look like to be a disciple. But so often, we've seen it twice already, so often Jesus is confronted by the religious leaders of the day. And that's going to be really the context of our passage. And if you've read through any of the Gospels, this is familiar to you. How the the uh, the Pharisees and the scribes they try to corner Jesus and trap him into doing or saying something that is against their tradition or against their law, and uh, that's exactly what happens in our passage today. So we're going to look at just the first twenty three verses of chapter seven, and in just in a few minutes we'll read it together. But really, is um, the the whole crux of this passage is about tradition versus truth now there's nothing wrong with tradition but when we allow it to supplant and take over the importance of god's word in our life then it becomes a serious issue and that's what jesus is confronting with the religious leaders so i give you a little bit of um, context for what we're talking about there is this um this illustration that kind of looks at what happens when we kind of fall into this idea of blindly following traditions maybe we don't even know where they came from and oftentimes as protestants we might look at the catholic church or other sort of high church denominations and look at them and their traditions but i think this morning we need to kind of look around and not only around but in our hearts because even protestants evangelical protestants we have our own traditions that sometimes will become an obstacle for us to bring true worship to God, and they can become idols. And so this isn't such an easy passage to look at, but I would just pray that you would uh, bear with me and bear with the Scripture as uh, we see what it has for us today. But there's this illustration of a um, a long time ago, a few centuries ago actually, there was this very poor holy man who lived in a very remote part of China. And every day before his meditation, he was well known throughout his community. Every day before his uh, time of meditation, in order to show his devotion to God, he put a dish of butter up on the windowsill in his bedroom where he spent his time of meditation. And 
He did it as an offering to God because food was pretty scarce then and so it was really all he could offer. And so he put this little um, dish of butter up on the windowsill and he did that every day as an offering to God. But one day his trusty cat came in and guess what the cat did? The cat ate the butter. So to fix this, this um, holy man, he began um, every day now, he put the the dish of butter on the windowsill, but he took a leash and he put a leash on the, the cat around his collar and he tied the leash to his bedpost so the cat could be with him but wouldn't be able to reach the butter. And this man was so revered for his piety and his righteousness that many others began to join him and become his disciples and they began to worship God just as he did. So generations later, many generations long after this holy man was dead, his followers continued in his ways, and every day his disciples would get up and have a time of meditation, and they would place a dish of butter on the windowsill. And they did it during their time of prayer and meditation, just like their master. But also each disciple bought a cat, and tied it to their bedpost. You see the illustration there that they just did what their master had done generations ago. No idea why they were doing this with the cat or the butter, but they did it because he did it. Sometimes traditions can become like that. I'd like you to, to, to watch this short video with me. It's just a little less than a minute. And um, as we get it set up, this is... Um, it's kind of a well-known video, and you can find it on YouTube, of course, but there was this experiment done a long time ago with fleas, and uh, fleas in a jar, and I think it'll also help to bring this point home. So let's just watch and listen uh, as we um, see what this has to say. Go ahead. Training fleas requires a glass jar with a lid. The fleas are placed inside the jar, and the lid is then sealed. They are left undisturbed for three days. Then, when the jar is opened, the fleas will not jump out. In fact, the fleas will never jump higher than the level set by the lid. Their behavior is now set for the rest of their lives. And, when these fleas reproduce, their offspring will automatically follow their example. You can stop it there. Amazing, right? So they just put these fleas in a jar, close it up for three days, and after that the fleas won't leave the jar. And even if you notice, they took the jar away, turned upside down, took the jar away, and the fleas stayed in that position. They had margins that were created. But then if you notice what he said, he said generation after generation of fleas and their offspring will never move outside of that configuration. Even though they took the jar away and they're free to fly wherever, it's all they've been trained to think and to do. Now, to me, that's not freedom. But doesn't that happen with us sometimes? I think we can all relate to that. And sometimes it has to do with traditions. Maybe there's traditions in our life, and I'm talking about ones 
that can become an obstacle, right? We all have traditions, and that's good. We're quickly approaching Thanksgiving and Christmas and time of the year for traditions. That's great. That's really not what I'm talking about. I'm more talking about those religious traditions that we have allowed to creep into the church and into our lives where we then, even if we won't admit it, we hold them on the same level as God's Word. And that's what Jesus is calling the religious leaders out against. And the crux of this passage is really is, it's about the heart. It's not about what's going on on the outside, it's about the heart. And see, like in the, the illustration of the, the holy man and the video of the fleas, there was people that were just doing things over and over, not even recognizing how it started, but they're just doing it. And there's a story of uh, this woman who was making a roast, it was her Sunday pot roast, and She would always just cut the end off and put it in the pot. And she was teaching her daughter. And so her daughter asked the mom, Mom, why do you cut the end off the pot roast? And the mom said, I don't know. uh, Just the way my mom taught me to do it. And so that night, Grandma came over and they were having pot roast. And Grandma, and she asked, the daughter asked the Grandma, "Um, I noticed Mom cuts the end off the roast. You know why she does that? And the Grandma says, I don't know. It's the way my mom did it. I learned from her. And so... So the next day, the little daughter got to meet the great-grandmother and said, Great-grandma, do you know why grandma and and my mom, they cut the end off the roast? And the great-grandmother started laughing and she said, I didn't even know they did that. She said, I started doing that because my roast wouldn't fit in the pan. (laughs) See? Right? So, you know, they just figured, well, it's going to make it taste better, so we got to cut the end off. But we just don't know, right? And so Jesus, of course, like always... He takes the things that we might be worried about on the outside, about how we look, how we appear, and he gets right to the root of things, doesn't it? I mean, you can cut a branch off of a tree and it'll survive. You cut the root, right, and it will die. And Jesus goes right to the root because he's saying, I'm bringing you new life. You need to be dead to the old and embrace the new. And, and, he, and he says, let's forget about these traditions that you have made. And so we're going to see this in our passage. So let's read it together. Mark 7, 1 to 23. And notice how Jesus focuses on the heart. Notice what he has to say about the heart. And just kind of, as we read it, filter it through these illustrations and what Jesus is always up against. How he's trying to get to the heart of the matter. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes, who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And Jesus said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? For as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. And Jesus said to them, 
You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses had said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and he said, Hear me, all of you, and understand this. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. When he had entered the house and left the people, the disciples asked him about this parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it does not enter his heart but his stomach and then is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And Jesus said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of a man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. What a fun passage, right? It's the beauty of preaching through books of the Bible. And we're not going to skip over anything. But I trust, and maybe God's already gotten a hold of your heart, that there are certainly some truths here that might really hit home. And uh, one, of the, um, one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit, who indwells us as believers, is to convict us. Convict us of sin. So would you be willing to let God do that through His Spirit today, if that need be? And so, we look at this idea of the traditions that the religious leaders set forth and they were, they were using it uh, at the same level as commands. And so what's happening here is Jesus had just fed the 5,000. He walked on the water. Remember, we talked about it last week to meet up with the disciples. They were struggling and he came and he brought his presence. Remember, it was all about being in the presence of God. And now he moves on to something similar, but it looks in a different way. Because now Mark is telling us about this in, the exchange between Jesus and and the religious leaders. We had already seen this twice before in Mark chapter 2. Remember when the disciples were picking grain from the field and eating and the, and the Pharisees called them out on that. And, and then um, there was something they were doing on the Sabbath as well, remember? And he was like, you're not keeping the Sabbath, you're not fasting or all that. And so here it is, we see it again. We're already in the seventh chapter and this is the third time. And so um, they ask him a question. And then of course... As Jesus does, he answers the question. And he answers the question and he quotes from Isaiah 29 and then he gives them this illustration of Corbin. We'll look at that for a moment. But then we're going to see he really gets to in verses 14 to 23 the heart of the matter. Because Jesus isn't going to let it stay. He's going to really bring it down to what really matters, to the heart of the matter. And so that's what's going on and. So um, Jesus is talking and answering this question and he's trying to bring it home so that they understand that they have led his people astray. 
It's really so much of Jesus' heart that they were setting up tradition to be just as important as the commandments of God, that they were distorting the truth through their man-made traditions. And they would be so fastidious and religious in the way that they would wash their hands, it was to be ceremonially clean, ritually clean. Yes, of course, it's a good idea when you come back from the marketplace to wash your hands, but that's not why they were doing it. It was, a, it was a ritual. And here's why. They thought that they were clean on the inside. See, they thought they were clean on the inside, that they were righteous and holy, and they didn't want anything from the outside to defile that, not even a little bit of dirt or germs on them from the marketplace. They felt that they were defiled, and it was in their law and tradition. They were defiled if they touched something that was dead it was something that was meat in the marketplace they thought that they were defiled if they touched a gentile they'd have to go and wash their hands they had all kinds of rules and regulations but why because they believed they were clean on the inside and so what they were focused on was being clean on the outside and of course jesus like he does everything else turns it upside down doesn't he and he goes on to say you think this is how he basically answers them in so many words so you're telling me you think you're clean on the inside and you're trying to just be clean on the outside and then that's when he goes on this whole teaching and saying it's not what's on the outside that comes in that defiles you it's what comes out of your heart and he lists all those wonderful things at the end of this passage that come out of the heart of human beings so let's just look briefly, going to kind of walk through this passage together and highlight a few things as we finally just want to land on what it means to have a heart after God and recognizing the condition of our heart before and after Jesus. So the first four verses, um, basically Mark starts to explain, he kind of gives a parenthesis there, as you notice that the reading there is a parenthesis, because Mark is explaining to his Gentile readers why the Jewish people do these things they do. Did you ever drive through Lakewood and kind of wonder why did they dress this way or do certain things? And a few weeks ago, we had my friend Dr. Haig here who's, uh, you know, brings the gospel to those people and he knows all about those traditions and the history of it. And you wonder why. And it's really, if you think about it, and I hate to say it that way, but our Jewish friends are acting just like the Pharisees and the scribes. And they've set up all these things, you know, and one of our favorite movies as a family, um, especially as the kids were growing up, was The Fiddler on the Roof. Did you ever watch that musical? And it kind of opens with that great song of tradition. Remember that? We can all probably sing it, you know. And it's all about these traditions they have. And at the end, the, the, the lead player, Tevia, he's talking to the camera. And he says, so why do we have all these traditions? He goes, I'll tell you why. I don't know. He goes, but we do. And these are the things that keep us close to God. That's what he says in the movie. And it's true. But where does that idea of the filler of the roof come in? And he goes, if we didn't have these traditions, talks about the tassel, why they wear a hat, how much milk he gives to the person, all of that is regulated. He said, if we didn't have these traditions, we would be as shaky as a fiddler on the roof. Right, And so that was sort of the scene is that the religious leaders thought that they were clean on the inside. They just needed to keep the outside looking good so they would not be defiled. And Jesus turns it 
turns them right on their ear. So Mark, who's writing to uh, Jews and Gentiles, but for the Gentiles uh, that are reading, he puts in parentheses, he says basically, look, they do all these kinds of things. They wash their hands to be ritually clean, and not only that, they wash cups and pots and vessels, even the couches they dine, but they do it in a ritualistic way. And then in verse 5, it says, the Pharisees and the scribes, they asked them a question Why do your disciples not walk according to, they don't say the commandments, they say to the traditions of the elders, but they eat with defiled hands. Because they noticed they were eating, but they had not become ceremonially clean. And so they ask them, again, they're trying to trap them. Here's a good rabbi and that people are following and they're like, let's get them. And so they ask them this question, why is it that you and your disciples, you're not washing your hands according to the traditions of the elders. And so Jesus takes the opportunity, as he always does, to answer their question. So, he quotes Isaiah 29. And you know, one thing that we love about the way Jesus teaches is, I talked about getting to the root, doesn't he? He doesn't mince words. He gets right to the point. Even if he's teaching in a parable, he gets right to the point. So they asked him, and then it says in verse 6, He said, well, Isaiah did a good job prophesying against all of you hypocrites. I didn't think they expected that, right? Yet you have somebody in your life that is pretty, maybe you call them a little rough around the edges, but they tend to just get right to the point. But sometimes we need that. And so he says, you're a bunch of hypocrites, and Isaiah did a good job calling you out. And then he quotes from Isaiah 29, 13. This people honors me with their lips. Again, this is Isaiah, Old Testament, talking about the Jewish people dishonoring God with heartless worship, right? And how they were going to be taken captive, gone to exile. He says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men, and it's still happening. Today. It was happening in Jesus' day. It's still happening in our churches today. So he says, you leave the commandment for, of God and you hold on the tradition of men. Forget about reading the Scriptures. Forget about trying to understand what God is calling us to do and follow that. He says, you would rather just do what the elders said to do. Generate. You don't even remember why they said it. Why do you wear that tassel? Why do, to be ceremonially clean. Why? You probably couldn't even answer So then he goes on. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God for your established traditions. You see, it's tradition versus truth. So he quotes from Isaiah 29 and he calls them out. But then he gives an illustration. So Jesus doesn't leave it right there. Illustrations are good. I opened with a couple of illustrations today about the theme of our passage. And Jesus gives an illustration And I want to kind of unpack that for just a couple of minutes. Excuse me. He says in verses 9 through 13, he talks about this thing called Corbin. And um, here's basically what he's saying. That um, there was, in the commandments of God, going back to Exodus and you go back to Leviticus, there were these commandments that God gave and said, you need to make sure that you take care of your elderly family members, your parents. And that was a God's decree. Honor your father and mother, right? 
And so he gives them these commands and he says, you need to take care of those who took care of you. And that's the way that God wanted it. But what happened was in their traditions, and of course Jesus picks out a perfect illustration. He says to the Pharisees, what you've done is you have found a loophole in the law. That sound familiar? Like, they try to do that all the time. A loophole in the tax law. Usually that's what you hear it about. So they had these laws and traditions. And so the scribes over generations came up with all kinds of ways to get around the commandments of God. That's why Jesus is saying, you're replacing the very commandments with your traditions. And so here's what they did. If, let's say a, a gentleman had elderly parents and he inherited money from them. If he claimed that money, that inheritance, to be what was called Corbin, which means a gift from God that was supposedly given back to God. It's something given to God. Like, God gave me this, I'm giving it back to you, God. It's supposed to be all righteous and holy, right? If someone claims that their inheritance is Corbin, a gift from God is supposed to be only used for God's purposes, then by their tradition and law, that man does not have to use a penny of it to take care of his elderly parents. And then he could just say, it's all for me and what I believe God is calling me to use it for. And he would not be punished under their law and tradition if he did not use it to take care of his elderly parents. Now, can you understand why Jesus chose that as an illustration? He said, you're taking this commandment of God to honor your father and mother, which I think we'd all agree is true and right. And he says... You've taken this tradition, you've made it, you've warped it, you have taken the truth and you have defiled it, using it for your own personal gain and comfort so that you don't even have to take care of the parents that raised you and took care of you. So you could then have that inheritance all for yourself. Look at what it says um, in Exodus 20, from the Old Testament, Exodus 20, 12 and then 17 Uh, He says, God makes it clear, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And then in verse, uh, in chapter 21, verse 17, whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. How about that? So God gives it in a positive way, honor them. In Exodus 21, he says, if you curse them, uh, then you will be put to death. But then how about the New Testament? What does it say about that? 1 Timothy 5. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. He's basically saying, look, there's a widow and she has family. The family's supposed to take care of her. Right? Because that's what is pleasing in the sight of God. But then later in uh, verse 8, 1 Timothy 5, 8, It says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is even worse than an unbeliever. How about that? So it's very clear from the Old and the New Testament that God's heart is that we would take care of our elderly family members. But the Jewish people of the day, through their traditions, the leaders had come up with a way to circumvent that. To get around the heart of the issue. Isn't that interesting? So I went to the doctor recently for my my pre-op exam, this this foot surgery on Friday. So I had an EKG done. Many of you had that, right? And um, 
It just measures your heart, the health of your heart. And so when I met with the doctor and she went over the results, everything looks good, you know, and she said, um, do you know about this RBBB that you have? And I said, no, 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 I don't. <laughs> and um, it's called, well, she said, it's, it's really nothing. It's no big deal. I don't even treat it. She said, it's called a right bundle branch block. And I said, how much longer do I have, Doc? No. <laughs> Heart, you know, heart issues are, are serious, and there's people in our, in our church family are dealing with heart issues, and she said, nothing to worry about, it's very common, and I said, well, you can explain it to me. She said, well, what happens is, of course, what the EKG picks up is the electrical, like, circuits in your heart. She says, it's very common, but basically there's an electrical circuit that wants to circumvent the part of your heart it should go through. It kind of goes around its own way, and it gets back to where it's going, and so once in a while it might flutter, it might cause you to feel a certain way never had any issues she said, it's not dangerous or anything we just keep an eye on it and, but it's all about this electrical charge that keeps your heart going but it's taking a different path it's trying to get around doing what it's supposed to do and not be at the heart of the matter you see and so it's like jesus saying you're trying to circumvent the law you're trying to get you're missing the whole heart of the law and you're just looking at what's you know what's most important to you from the outside and jesus says no it's what's on the inside so he says you're supposed to take care of your parents but you have found a way to circumvent that because you're missing out on what the heart of god's commands are and your traditions don't carry that heart of god so if you're going to replace commandments with traditions then you're losing out and you're leading the people astray it was even worse for the leaders So he gives that illustration in verses 9 to 13. But then the last part of the section in verses 14 to 23, he really gets to it. And he says, here's the true source of defilement. And he goes on to tell them, he says, you know what? He called the the, the crowd together and he taught them this. And then they left and the disciples are like, what did you mean by this? And he says, oh, you don't understand either. And he explains to them. And he says, don't you see, this is verse 18, don't you see that whatever goes into a person from the outside, that, that's not what defiles him. Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach. And it's expelled then. And you can get a picture of what he means by that. But he then, Mark says, thus he declared all foods clean. Again, for his Gentile readers. So, he's saying, God has declared all foods clean. You remember the, the Jewish people had dietary laws. And some of it makes sense, right? But they would follow it religiously because they thought it would keep them closer to God. Just follow the rules. But God is saying through Jesus, He made all foods clean. We see that in another passage of Scripture. But what does that relate to for us? Now, I think we eat foods we don't, we don't care about. Are they kosher or not? And are they you know, clean in God's eyes, right? But how do we relate that to us? There are things that we can set up as traditions and say, well, maybe it's not food, but maybe it's the way that people dress should dress a certain way on the outside should look a certain way you know and who is it that people hang out with and i'll talk more about that later but it's like he's saying jesus brought freedom freedom from these traditions and laws and all these foods are clean enough to worry about it but for us it might not be the foods that we eat but there are things that we have chained ourselves to that god has set us free from through jesus christ So Jesus is saying a person is not defiled morally even by what he eats. 
even if his hands aren't ceremonially washed, but a person is defiled morally by what he thinks and believes in his mind and in his heart, even though on the outside he might look good religiously, but on the inside he is dead and dying. Right? And so, Jesus made all food clean. So for the early church, they struggled with that. Remember, the first Christians were mostly Jews, right? They converted to the, the ways of Jesus and believers in Him. And, but for a long time, the early church, especially those who, had, who were Jewish, they, they struggled with this idea of not keeping the law. Remember we went through Acts and we looked at the Judaizers. They were trying to keep the circumcision saying, and be a Christian, you first got to be a Jew and be circumcised. Keep the law and believe in Jesus. And Paul was like, that's a false gospel. Because that's works-based. and So it can be the same for us today. Because they struggled with that in the early church. You mean we everything is okay for us to eat? It was a real thing for them to get over. But for us, maybe it's looking at people at church and how they dress and what they wear. Maybe do they raise their hands or close their eyes during worship? Maybe it's what side of the political aisle they're on or how patriotic or unpatriotic you are do you ever notice how it seems like people assume that because you're a christian well you must vote republican don't you or you must be so patriotic and you probably own a gun too don't you how about this if you maybe we judge one another on do they smoke cigarettes? Do they drink alcohol? Do they have a tattoo? How about like how many activities you participate in church throughout the week? Hey, were you at this thing yesterday? Yeah, I was there and I did it last month too. Yeah, I do that every month. We start to judge one another. How about your family? Oh, you should, you should hear about their kids. Oh, did you hear about their family? Yeah, yeah, we start to judge people. Maybe if you've been divorced. Or how about even things like race and ethnicity? No, that doesn't enter the church at all, does it? Do you see, my point is, is that even as Christians and followers of Jesus, we can read this passage and say, yeah, I can't believe those Pharisees and scribes, but how about in our heart? few more passages of Scripture before we close. From the Old Testament, talking about idolatrous worship. Because really, in a nutshell, Jesus, when He came bringing the message of repentance, He's saying, you are worshiping God, the right God, but in a false way. And you have set up things to be idols. Look at what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah 17, 5-10. He was a prophet to Israel, specifically to Judah. But look at this condemnation for the people's idolatrous worship. Thus says the Lord, Jeremiah 17, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Not a good picture. But, verse 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes, 
for its leaves remain green. It's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. See what Jeremiah did? He contrasted the two. A bush in the desert with no water, or a tree living by streams that give living water and its roots go deep. Verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. I'm gonna, I want to talk about that last um, phrase in just a moment. But some really um, condemning words, right? Maybe not a good one for your morning devotion when you first wake up and you're waking up. Yeah, the heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Thank you, God. Go back to sleep. But it is the truth. And see, it's what we need to be reminded of. But how about from the New Testament? Matthew 23, another fun passage of Scripture. This is all of those seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees. Just want to read a few of them. Just a few verses from Matthew 23. The same topic, right? Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on the people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and even being called rabbi by others. He sets them up. Then he says in verse 13, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter or go in. Later in verse 23 it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, like justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides. You're straining out a gnat, but you're swallowing a camel. These are the words of Jesus. Is He awesome or what? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence, you blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and plate that the outside may also look clean. And finally, verse 27 and 28, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness let's make sure that we don't sit in condemnation over them let jesus do that we need to look at our own hearts legalism traditions that can become an obstacle they bring us a weird sense of comfort and control it's almost like we want to control our surroundings and our life and so if we add on all these things to God's law and commandment, and you know what? It can make us look better. Just like the Pharisees, 
They loved being called rabbi. They loved the best seats, right? They loved all of that. And it's like we set up these traditions about what we're supposed to say and do in church and how to act and who you're supposed to hang around with and all of that. We do it why? To make ourselves feel better. It's a way to measure ourselves against one another. It's what we do in our hearts, don't we? That's why we judge and we're measuring. And Jesus says, no, that's a poor means of measuring. And that doesn't lead to peace and joy and salvation. See, we can even fear change. And so we don't like people to mess with our things, with our traditions. But those traditions can often distort the truth. We feel like they're protecting us from the outside world. I mean, Jesus said, hey, Pharisees, you're doing that. You think just by washing your hands that you're going to protect yourself from being defiled? He says, you're defiled from the inside out. We don't, we don't want to associate with gent- We touch them, you've got to wash your hands. In a way, it's like, how about like the Amish? Setting themselves apart so they are not defiled by the world. And they have all their traditions. It's the same picture. Yes, it can build a sense of community. Traditions in a good way can bind us together. But Jesus brings, brings us freedom to those that we have set between us and God. And again, he says, you're holding up traditions higher than the commandments of God the Father. And what does it lead to? It leads to idolatrous worship. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 to 18. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instructions of God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord, I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fatted animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who asks this of you? This trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons and Sabbaths and convocations, I cannot even bear your worthless assemblies anymore. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. The words of God. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. And even when you offer many prayers, I'm still not listening. Your hands are full of blood. So wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Now that would not be a good place to end today's message, would it? Convicting, I hope. But here is the heart that God does want. Verse 17 and 18. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. How about you plead the case of the widow? Then he says, come now, let's settle this matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. This is why we preach grace. This is why we preach the grace of God. We cannot please God on our own. This passage just describes our hearts before Christ. But in Christ we have grace. Grace that is free. Grace that saves. We are no longer under the law, bound by any traditions. We have been set free for grace brings us freedom. See, the gospel that we proclaim, the gospel that we preach, the gospel that we live out is good news that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That in Christ, 
God offers a free gift of salvation from the penalty of sin freely by His grace. But each and every day, church, what do we struggle with? The penalty of sin has been paid by the grace of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. We struggle with the power of sin over our hearts. That power won't be completely gone until Jesus returns. That's why it's our great hope, Lord, return. Take us from these defiled bodies so that we don't have these defiled minds and disobedient to you anymore. Until that day comes, we are then to live out our days in that what we call that progressive sanctification each and every day, becoming more like Jesus, submitting our will to Him, obedient, uh, being obedient to Him. We'll never become sinless, but our goal is to sin less each and every day. We're justified before God. Our position in Him is true and sure and complete. It's all by grace because we didn't earn it and we didn't deserve it. But our condition in Him needs to continually every day draw closer to Him. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works that no one can boast. See, in this, our hearts are reconciled to God. Hearts of stone made flesh. It's a new heart that draws us near to God. Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. From Ezekiel 36 in the Old Testament, a beautiful picture of what would come in Jesus. See, grace is this free gift of unconditional and unmerited acceptance, love and favor. It's the means of salvation. It's the motivation for the Christian life. And grace is the model of our relationship with one another. This grace of God justifies us before a holy God. It brings us into fellowship with Him. It motivates us to honor God with how we think and live. It blesses us with all spiritual riches and blessings. The grace of God preserves us, comforts us, encourages us, and strengthens us. So we are set free, church, to lay down any tradition that distorts the truth of God's lavish grace and has created in us perhaps a heart of judgmentalism or legalism and has become an obstacle to true worship, which God desires, would come only from a humble heart of thanksgiving and joy from His loving children. It's not about what's on the outside, Jesus said. Defilement comes from the inside. So how's your heart today? Where does your heart stand before God? We're going to end with a a song as we like to do. and um, Take the time to worship. Maybe you just want to sit and listen and reflect on God's Word today. Come before God and check your heart. Ask God, be vulnerable before Him. Because didn't we read that God searches the heart? can't hide anything from God but isn't it beautiful that he does search the heart (laughs) right he is relentlessly pursuing us and seeking us even as we might drift away from his beautiful presence he is always there so where is your heart before God today have you accepted the grace of God that free gift of salvation that's free to us to accept by faith in Christ alone but cost him everything we keep our eyes on him so let me thank you lord amen so let's pray and let's end our time by singing in our response to his grace for us father thank you for your word as always and god we know that the spirit within us wants to convict us but we need to let him do it 
And so God, um, even as we leave this place singing and we leave having some of these words from the Scriptures um, affect us, God, we want to let, it, um, to let it just break down walls in our hearts that perhaps we've been judgmental to other people, that perhaps we have been guilty of setting up walls of tradition between us and others and between us and You. God, may we not fall into the failings and failures of the Pharisees, but God, that we would recognize the freedom we have in Jesus Christ. So we thank You for grace upon grace, Your mercy over mercy. And God, may we walk in that freedom and that grace each and every day that we would not only believe it and proclaim it, but we would show others the same grace that You have shown us. For God, You desire true worship from Your people. Worshippers that would worship in spirit and in truth. God, may we never set up man-made traditions of any kind above Your very commandments to us. So God, know that we do love You. It's our desire from a humble heart to follow You. God, it's difficult. And God, we, we do allow those things in our life to, to get in the way. Whatever that may be for us this morning, God, would you, would you remove those? God, that we would have that pure and clean heart before you and recognize that you are a good God who lavishes his grace upon us. God, may we just enjoy that today and even enjoy it as we sing worship to you. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. Amen.